echo, echo Brother Bob's sentiments this morning. I won't keep you until midnight, though uh, there for a second I thought, hmm, I wonder if I could do that, but I don't want a rebellion on my hands, so, um, so we, won't, we won't go to, till midnight. Well, Psalm 63 is the psalm I want us to think about this morning. I think it's got some really great uh, lessons for us as God's people. Uh, Psalm 63 is most commonly attributed to King David, and in particular revolving around a, a time in his life where he was wandering through a wilderness. And I can think of a couple of instances when David was wandering in the wilderness. The first instance is a period of David's life when he was uh, running away from King Saul. Do you remember that, that whole story? Saul is uh, jealous about David. He wants to kill David, and David has to run away. And he's running through the wilderness for quite a long time with Saul breathing down his neck. Really, David had been very useful to Saul. He had been the one, because of his musical ability, to uh, calm Saul when he had uh, the, the spirit come upon him that tormented him. And not only was David useful to Saul, he was best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. But David, at some point along that whole story, becomes a mighty warrior. He's not just that musician in Saul's court, and he has become a mighty warrior in Saul's army. He's become successful in leading the adoration, uh, successful in leading uh, men, and he's gotten the adoration of the people. And Saul becomes jealous and seeks to kill David, which causes David to flee out into the wilderness to escape Saul. Once highly loved and trusted, now a fugitive in the wilderness. The second instance of David in the wilderness is another pretty sad instance in David's life. Uh, it's over in 2 Samuel chapter, uh, 2 Samuel's 15 through 17, uh, all of those chapters, and the situation surrounding David in, the, in that, in those chapters, David had been king over Israel for some time, and in 2 Samuel chapter 15, David's own son, Absalom, decides, I've had enough of my father being king, I'm going to take over now. And Absalom puts together a pretty successful takeover bid. He gets the people on his side, and suddenly David is not quite as popular as he was, and David is forced to flee from Jerusalem out into the wilderness to get away from his own son. And I want you to notice with me what happens in, in particular to David in 2 Samuel chapter 16. 2 Samuel chapter 16, in the first couple of verses of that chapter. When David had passed a little beyond the summit, Ziba the servant of Mephibosheth met him with a couple of donkeys saddled, bearing 200 loaves of bread, 100 bunches of raisins, 100 of summer fruits, and a skin of wine. The king said to Ziba, why have you brought these? Ziba answered, the donkeys are for the king's household to rise on the bread and the summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who faint in the wilderness to drink. And the king said, And where is your master's 
son. Ziba said to the king, Behold, he remains in Jerusalem, for he said, Today the house of Israel will give me back the kingdom of my father. And the king said to Ziba, Behold, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is now yours. And Ziba said, I pay homage. Let me ever find favor in your sight, my lord the king. In, in these few verses, David is told of an apparent betrayal by somebody that David had done quite a bit for, Mephibosheth, who was of the line of Saul, who really, if you think about ancient takeovers, uh, if David was like any other king, he probably would have had Mephibosheth killed, as he's got a claim on the throne. But David showed remarkable kindness to Mephibosheth, but here out in the wilderness, suddenly David hears of an apparent betrayal by this man that he had spared the life of someone that David had shown incredible grace and mercy to. And then in verses 5 through 14, David is assailed by a man named Shimei who hurls insults and curses down on David as he flees from Jerusalem. And verse 14 tells us that David and all those who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan. They were exhausted. I would imagine that not only are they physically exhausted, they are emotionally exhausted. Think about what's happened to David. It's his own son who has instigated all this against him. And then it's somebody that he trusted that now he thinks has betrayed him. And along the way, this man hurls insults and curses down on David. It's no wonder that they arrive weary. They've been wandering through the wilderness not a whole lot out in the wilderness that can sustain you. And then the chapter ends with David's son Absalom finishing off his betrayal by entering Jerusalem, kind of like the final nail in the coffin. This has actually happened. So David is betrayed by his own son. David is betrayed by someone whom he has shown such love and kindness to, and he's endured the curses and insults of Shimei. Now, those are the two instances that, uh, that I think we see David out in the wilderness, and I think this case of David with Absalom is probably the most likely uh, historical event that's happening when David is writing Psalm 63 that we read just a moment ago. Mainly because there in 2 Samuel chapter 16, David is king over Israel. He wasn't king in the instance when Saul is chasing after him. In Psalm 63, verse 11 says, But the king shall rejoice in God. And if this is the case, then I think it's helpful for us to pay attention to what's happened to David over the course of this story with Absalom. Uh, here in 2 Samuel 16, where we're certainly told that he is physically and I'm sure emotionally exhausted because it fills David with a deep spiritual realization that he writes down here in Psalm 63. And it's a realization that I think we as God's people need to come to pretty much on a daily basis, this realization that David comes to, that God is a necessity in our lives. He is a necessity in our lives, and we must pursue him as those whose thirst is so great 
they might die if they don't get water. So David begins Psalm 63. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. The very first verse here, the psalmist really lays out where his thirst for God begins. And it begins, I think, with two realizations on David's part. Firstly, David says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. David feels the need to ask God because he understands that God, or he, under, he, he feels the need to seek God because he understands that God is a personal God. Oh God, you are my God. And our seeking after God and thirst for God needs to begin in the very same place that it begins with David, but sometimes we still miss this. Our understanding of God, and I think rightly so, uh, begins with God is the creator. God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything that we see and experience. That makes God the God over everything. There is no greater power in the universe than God. He's the God over all creation. He's the God over all people. And all of that is true. But if we stop there, if all we do is see God as the God over everything, then I think we miss something a little bit deeper about who God is. We're missing one of the most beautiful and awe-inspiring aspects of who God really is. The God of the Israelites is the same God who spoke to Moses out of the burning bush and said in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 6, I am the God of your father. I am the God of Abraham the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is a personal God. Yes, he's the creator. He is the all-powerful creator of the universe, but he cares about each one of us individually as well. And David understands this. You can look at David's life and see how he could start this psalm declaring that God is his God. And so when we understand this fact that God is a personal God, this personal nature of God, I think it should open our eyes then to the fact that God is a basic necessity of our lives. I need to seek him, like David describes here. I need to seek him, and I need to find him, because if I don't, what's going to happen? My soul will die. If I don't find God, my soul is going to die, and that's why I need to seek him. And there needs to be a sense of urgency about my seeking God. You see what David says here in verse 1? Earnestly I seek you. And David emphasizes here how how God is a necessity in his life. David uses the physical condition of thirst to describe a spiritual experience. Remember the, the historical surroundings of this psalm. David's out in the wilderness, whether it's during the time of Saul or during the time of 
Absalom, he's out in the wilderness. There's not a lot of water out in the wilderness. You go out to the desert, you're not going to find a whole lot of water to drink. You probably won't even find a, a ton of food out there. And so David knows something about thirst. He knows something about exhaustion and the need for refreshment. And David describes his soul's need for God as the condition of thirst and exhaustion to the point of fainting. It's hard for me to really describe what David is describing here. Because I don't know that I've ever been quite that thirsty in my life. I've been very blessed. Everywhere I've lived, I've had water. Maybe it didn't always taste good, but I had water wherever I was. I've never been in that kind of dire need for sustenance. I've been hungry before. I've been thirsty, but never to the point that if I didn't get something to drink or something to eat, I'd probably die in a short amount of time. The closest I've ever been when I was uh, finishing up high school, right before I went to college, I went on a 100-mile hike on the Appalachian Trail. And there was a, a portion there, and this wasn't really hunger because I had food, but I was craving a certain kind of food that I didn't have, and it wasn't dehydrated food. And, you know, I thought about that food constantly because I knew at the very end that's what I was going to get. That, that's the closest I can come to, to trying to describe what David is describing here. Have you ever been in such need of water that your lips have begun to crack and bleed and your throat is burning and your tongue is sticking to the roof of your mouth and your voice is just barely a cracked whisper because you just can't, can't get anything out? I haven't. But can you imagine that if you were in that situation, there would be only one thing on your mind, and that would be, where can I get some water? That's what I need. That's what's going to preserve my life right now. Brothers and sisters, that needs to be our spiritual condition. For so long, I've read this psalm and thought, that I'm not the person I need to be if I'm, if I'm thirsting for God this way because that means, you know, I, I haven't found God. I, I'm, I haven't gotten to where I need to be. Doesn't that mean that I haven't found the favor of God if I'm still seeking after Him? I'm going to suggest to you this morning that if we are not thirsting for God the way that the psalmist describes here, then we have not gotten where we need to be. If God is the spiritual sustenance that my soul needs, and without him, I will die like a man who has no water and no prospect of water, then doesn't that mean that every aspect of my spiritual life needs to be about getting to God? Needs to be about getting nearer to God, about finding God? If God is the spiritual sustenance that my soul needs and I'm not thirsting and hungering for him daily, then really what I'm doing is starving myself to death. If I'm not seeking for him. 
So is that my condition? Is that your condition? Do you thirst after God this way? We need to. Because apart from God, we are living in a dry and weary land where there is no water. God is the only lasting source of water in the wilderness. I think about that story in the New Testament with Jesus and the woman at the well. You know, Jesus talked to her about water that would cause her not to thirst anymore. We are seeking after the one who can provide us with the sustenance we need in our spiritual lives. So moving on in the psalm then, in verse 2, it says, O you, O you, oh sorry, that's Psalm 65. Psalm 63 in verse 2, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. And so we begin with understanding, like David does, that God is a personal God, deeply invested in our spiritual well-being, and he is a necessity of our spiritual lives. But the question then is, where does thirsting after God lead me? Because it's got to lead me somewhere. If I thirst after God that much, then I'm, I'm supposed to start seeking him. Well, where does that lead me? What does this thirst look like when it's put into action? How do we find this nourishment that our souls need so desperately? Well, notice what the psalmist says here. In verse 2, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. The first place the psalmist remembers going and looking for God is to gaze upon God in the sanctuary, God's place of worship, where God's presence dwelt among his people, where the people could go and worship God. I think this is such an important idea here. As David thirsts for God, it drives him to think about and, and drives him to long to look upon the power and glory of God in his sanctuary, God's place of worship. Now, this isn't the only place that David describes his absolute need for God and his desire to be in God's house. You think about over in Psalm 84, verses 1 through 2, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord." My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. You skip down to verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of weakness. You flip over to Psalm 122 in verse 1. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And Psalm 27 in verse 4 and 5, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. 
Can't you see so clearly the great need that David had for God? And the need that he had to be in the house of God, in God's sanctuary, to worship him. And so this is the first way, I think, that we thirst after God, that we pursue him, to, and that's to worship him. And so we come together and we worship him and we sing and we pray, we commune and we think about God's word because we want to worship him. And it's because God is a need in our lives. Because we want to get closer to the God who is the only one who can satisfy this burning thirst and desire for him. If we don't have a need, and I mean a real need, to come together, to be here when we have the opportunity, if, if that's not a need in our lives, I'll tell you, I don't think we're really thirsting after God. Because if we really thirst after God, we will want to be where God's people are worshiping him. And I'll add this into the mix. David says that he beheld God's power and glory in the sanctuary, and when we come together to worship, that is exactly what we see, the power and glory of God. Because what we see are fellow Christians saved by the power and glory of God. And in the next few verses, the psalmist describes his praise of God and blessing of God, which are both aspects of worship to him. He praises God because of his steadfast love, and he blesses God because of his name. And notice in verse 4, it says, I will bless you as long as I live. This isn't something that we, we just get into this mindset, well, I've done this one or two times, and now I'm good for, for the rest of the time, the rest of my week or the rest of my life. No, this is a lifelong endeavor. David says that he wants to bless God throughout his life, for the remainder of his life. This isn't something that we just do a couple of times and then set aside. This is a lifelong endeavor for us. And so truly thirsting after God will lead us to worship God. And that's because we gain sustenance here. When I was uh, in Louisville, uh, right before the classes would start, um, Mark McCrary, who, who ran my internship and was the preacher there, he was one of the elders as well, he would always tell people, please stay for the classes. You need to be here. It's good for you. That's exactly what it is for us. When we have the opportunity to come together, we need to desire to be here, and we need to be here because it's good for us, because it gives us what we need in our spiritual life. It draws us closer to God, to the one, to the only one who can provide us the sustenance we need to survive. And I mean survive in an eternal But truly thirsting after God doesn't just lead us to worship, it also leads us to remember and meditate on God. Notice again, verses 5 through 6, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. 
And the psalmist says that he is satisfied and he is filled because his thirsting leads him to remember and meditate upon God. And the idea here, I think, is that the psalmist desires God so much that even in the middle of the night, and I have a hard time getting up in the middle of the night, but even in the middle of the night, He desires God so much that when he wakes up, his mind goes right to God. This is someone who is so enthralled with God that he feels the need to think about God as often as he can. I tell you, when I wake up in the middle of the night, my first thought isn't usually about God. Usually it's, I can't believe I'm waking up right now, or Olivia kicked me, or you know, the, the dog is getting in the way. There was an older lady in the congregation I grew up with, or in, that without fail began her day in the Word of God. It didn't matter how busy she was going to be that day, and it didn't matter how early her day had to start in order to get her Bible reading in, she was going to begin her day, just reading and thinking about God. And that's because she knew that she could find satisfaction from God in his word, because she thirsted after him. She knew what God was to her, and nothing was going to keep her from thinking about him whenever she could. The psalmist here knew that knowing God better was going to give him fulfillment. And really the only kind of lasting fulfillment that any of us could possibly find. I mean, how often do we try and find fulfillment apart from God? I'll tell you, when we do that, we're cutting ourselves off at the knees because we live in a dry and weary land and God and his word are the water that we need to find fulfillment. I'm not going to find fulfillment anywhere out there. As much as I might try, I'm not going to find it out there. People have wasted their lives trying to find fulfillment in the world. And just think about Psalm 119, which is all about David delighting in the word of God. I was joking with Adam earlier. I'm, I told him I'm... I'm sorry that I gave you a whole psalm to read, but at least I didn't give you Psalm 119. Well, we're, we're going to Psalm 119 now. We can find God in the pages of Scripture. And in Psalm 119, beginning in verse 4, a psalm that's all about the, the psalmist's love for the Word of God, he says, You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes, then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I think it's interesting to note here that the, the word of God that David is talking about here in Psalm 119, that's the law. You know, I, I read Leviticus and Exodus, and I go, man, how can I wade through all of this? I, I don't know how someone could meditate on that just constantly, but that's what David's talking about loving and wanting to read and wanting to be in on a constant basis. 
and a great example of the importance of meditating on God's word as often as we can, I think it's found over in Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Nehemiah is one of the great restorers of God's people in the Old Testament. Beginning in verse 1, it says, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. From early morning to midday, Ezra read from the law to the people. That's a long time to stand and listen to something being read. And yet, Ezra did it because it was of benefit to them. And it was needed for their souls. And David here in Psalm 63 declares that he is fulfilled he is filled when he thinks on God, even in the watches of the night when he wakes up from his bed. And the point I want to make is this. If we want to find this water that will satisfy us, that will fulfill us, that's going to sustain us, if we really desire God, if we really thirst after God, then we will want to be where his people are worshiping him and we will be drawn to meditate on him as often as we can. Our thoughts will go to him, even, you know, when we're sitting in the car. And it is so sad, I think, that we so often think that we can avoid spending time in God's word and still get along with our life. breathed out by God. It is the very source of life. And to neglect those things is to starve our souls until they die, and they will die. That's exactly the point the psalmist makes next in verses 9 and 10. And he says, but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth and they shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. Notice at the beginning of the psalm, David says, earnestly I seek you. That's God. He's seeking God. But here in verse 9, there's a different kind of seeking happening. There are those who are seeking the psalmist's life. I think probably you, you could say it's probably Absalom and those who are, who are following after him, or Saul and those following after him. They think that's what's going to bring them fulfillment. If it's the story of Saul and David in the wilderness, and you think about what Saul's trying to do, you know, by getting rid of David, he's trying to secure his throne, secure his line. He thinks that's going to Give me what I need. If it's Absalom, 
You've got to imagine Absalom is seeking after his father's life because he thinks, if I get rid of my father, I'm the king now. There's no you know, claim to the throne other than mine. I'm the king. They think that's going to find them fulfillment. David says, that's not going to find you fulfillment. Seeking after my life isn't what's going to bring you fulfillment. David says, you know what? Those that are seeking my life, they are going to find nothing but the sword and jackals. And I think this is true. What we truly thirst after and what we really think is going to sustain us is going to determine whether we live or die. And I want to be clear, I'm not saying that desiring a job or desiring a certain wage in that job or anything like that is inherently bad. But if we think those things are going to fulfill us in a way that only God can, if we seek those things to the exclusion of seeking God first, that's a dangerous place to be. We need to seek God, and we can seek Him and find fulfillment in Him as we worship and as we meditate on him. Then the very last verse of this psalm, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult for the mouths of liars will be stopped. The psalmist says as he closes this psalm that he, the king, rejoices in God. He exults in God because God doesn't fail. When we thirst for God, and I mean really thirst for him, as people who understand that only God can provide water, like we talked about earlier in John chapter 4, as he talks to the Samaritan woman there, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that was speaking to you or saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living we will find that water that will breathe life into our souls. Brothers and sisters, I think we've got to continue to repeat it. We live in a land laid waste. We live in a wilderness. We live in a desert. But our genuine thirst for God here will lead us to a place where we will never thirst again because we will always be in the presence of the one who provides what we need, who always provides us what we need to survive and to live, because we will all drink continually of God as we stand in his presence for all of eternity. That's the end result of thirsting after God. That's where we are hoping to get. You know, if coming together and worshiping God is one way to thirst after him and find him, how much better will it be to have found him in the life that is to come? I hope that this psalm that we've looked at together this morning will help all of us reevaluate our relationship with God to see if we are really thirsting after the living water that can only be found in our Creator.
I'm ashamed to say that for much of my life, I don't think I thirsted after God like this. Maybe you can sympathize. Maybe you have seen that in your own life. But that's what we are supposed to do. To seek after God with everything that we have so that we can find the one who is our life. But if you're not a Christian this morning and you recognize your need for God, your need for forgiveness from your sins, we want to encourage you to make that decision this morning. To become his child through baptism. To take your thirsting for God to the next level to find God. And if you are a Christian and you are struggling and you need prayers of encouragement from your brethren and you need us to study with you whatever we can do, we want to help you however we can. I hope that what we have all seen this morning as we've looked at this beautiful psalm written by David is that it is not enough just to read God's word once and think that we've gotten what we need, but it is a lifelong endeavor that we are about, of seeking for God. And one day, if we do that, we can rest assured that we will find Him. And so if you have any need this morning, we ask that you come forward as we stand and sing together. While we pray.